Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Pediapod for September 2017. This month, we meet another early career investigator, this time Dr. Vera Jalanda Alaredi, and discuss his recent paper on opioid abuse in children. Vera Jalanda Alaredi works as a paediatric cardiac critical care physician in the Stead Family Children's Hospital, University of Iowa. He started life in a small town in the southern part of India before completing his medical degree in Chennai. He soon emigrated to the United States and began a successful and varied career in paediatrics. In recent years, he's become interested in marrying his clinical work with studies into public health issues in paediatrics, which he believes are under-researched and under-reported. In this episode, he told me about an exploratory study he's carried out into opioid abuse in children across the US, based on a retrospective analysis of data from the Nationwide Emergency Department sample. So first of all then, Vera, can you just give us a sense of your introduction into paediatrics? Where have you come from? And tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are now. So I was born in a very small farming town in the southern part of India. That's where I did my uh, medical school in Chennai. And then, you know, I came to the United States in 2001 and did an MBA. So at that point, I was uh, exposed to the economic aspect of the healthcare in the United States. Then I did a residency in pediatrics and internal medicine for four years from 2004 to 2008. And then I got more interested in the uh, critical care aspect of pediatrics. And I did a fellowship in uh, pediatric critical care medicine. So that completed in 2011. And after that, I uh, worked as an attending at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital in the Division of Critical Care. At that point, and I developed further interest in cardiac critical care and also health outcomes research. And then I went to Boston for about a year at Boston Children's Hospital and completed a fellowship in pediatric cardiac critical care. To further pursue my interests and to get my visions aligned, I uh, interviewed at uh, the Steed Family Children's Hospital at Iowa, and I thought that was the perfect match for my both clinical and research interests. I wonder if you could explain for us how you transitioned or why you transitioned from this kind of surgical and very clinical background into the public health issues that we're here to discuss today. When I did my MBA, I was exposed to the healthcare economics and also to health outcomes research. I was very interested in the public health aspects impacting critical care. 
Whereas, you know, my clinical activity is pediatric critical care. And we see a lot of kids who actually have this uh, opioid abuse and other uh, problems. So, which means, you know, I'm trying to develop that very niche area, which is um, pediatric critical care with an emphasis on public health outcomes. This is something I don't hear about very often. Is it? Is it a problem? Unfortunately, the way that I see it is public health issues in pediatrics are, you know, under-researched, under-diagnosed, and unfortunately even under-reported. I've seen several problems which are mainly adult-related problems which happen in pediatrics. Say, for example, you know, non-accidental firearm injuries and also substance abuse issues. So that, you know, kind of kindled my interest to look at, like, okay, what's happening at a national level with regards to the personal experiences that I've seen in my workplace, which is kids coming to the emergency department for any cause and then being diagnosed, you know, to have an associated problem or sometimes the primary problem, which is substance abuse. Specifically, I wanted to look at opioid abuse. And now, you know, we know that in the United States of America, and then even uh, the president of the uh, United States, Donald Trump, has very recently stated in his interview that... uh, the opioid crisis is actually a national emergency in the adults. So my research is just an extension of that statement, which is, well, actually, it's not just the adults. Even in the pediatrics, this has become a big problem. And I'm sure that it will be news to a few of our listeners that it's a problem at all. But what shocked me was above that, it's, it seems to be increasingly problematic. Absolutely. I mean, one of the unique things about the study is, you know, this is not just like one state. This is the entire United States of America. So we used a nationwide emergency department sample, which is the largest administrative data set for uh, kids, you know, who visit the ED. We used the well-validated um, and well-used ICD-9 CM codes for opioid abuse and uh, opioid dependence. And uh, when we say kids, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics defines this as from zero to the age of 21. And what we have shown across the national trend is 117 children every day um, get diagnosed with some form of opioid abuse or dependence when they come to the ED. And as you rightly point out, the concerning part is, you know, the trend is increasing. In the year 2008, there were 30,000 visits wherein, you know, the kids were diagnosed with an opioid abuse or dependence. And that gradually keeps increasing over the next, you know, several years. And in 2013, nearly 50,000 kids have been diagnosed with, you know, some form of opioid abuse. This, you know, translates to roughly quarter million kids who have been diagnosed with some form of opioid abuse in the past six years. And you also assessed several different demographic characteristics of this cohort then to perform a multivariate analysis. Absolutely, because since this was the first initial exploratory study, we used all the available demographic variables and other hospital variables and patient variables in the NETS data set, which means we used age, we used gender, we used race, we used like you know their economic status, which region of the United States they're coming from, is it a teaching hospital, non-teaching hospital, so on and so forth. And what's actually happening to those patients when they come into the emergency department, the ED? What we found was actually close to about 92% of the patients who came in did not have any other chronic comorbid condition. Their main problem was the presenting complaint. Following an ED visit, nearly 58% of these kids were actually kind of routinely discharged, which means they came with a symptom, they got diagnosed, and then, you know, they were kind of released from the ED. That's about 60% of them. About 31% of them were actually admitted into the same hospital 
because you know of their underlying primary presenting complaint or the uh, opioid abuse was of such intensity that you know they needed closer monitoring and um, a very small percentage of the patients were actually transferred to a, a different institute because they did not have the requisite expertise to manage the patients there. So you've been able to track the fate of what happened to these uh, youngsters who came into the emergency department. What sorts of trends did you highlight in terms of what sorts of people were discharged versus what sorts of people were held in and were were there any patterns there? Yeah, so the first thing being is like, you know, um, kids uh, who actually came in from uh, high-income households, they were actually more likely to be hospitalised when compared to um, those uh, who, are, who came in from low-income households, which is kind of strange. Then the other important signal that we picked up was the uninsured patients were less likely to be hospitalized. And again, you know, since this is more of an exploratory study, it's difficult to go into the exact reasoning why a certain group of kids were being admitted and a certain group of kids were not being admitted. Mm, there's certainly enough of a preliminary signal to warrant some further study into why the uninsured and low-income youngsters weren't perhaps being treated as readily as others. Excellent, yep, yep. I mean, obviously, I'm being very careful not to do a cause and effect because with retrospective studies, you can never do that. But the signal is very strong. It says that for whatever reason, you know, they're not being admitted, so... Well, I mean, I wonder what we can say with any certainty. I mean, one one thing is that, you know, based on this data set, it's presumably the case that you're slightly underestimating the problem. Absolutely. I mean, you know, these are not like routinely tested kids, which means if the physician didn't think about it, the test was not ordered. And, and if the test was not ordered, probably, you know, the kid, I mean, was not, you know, diagnosed with it. So these are like, you know, probably the tip of the iceberg, wherein like, someone had a concern, tested the kid, and they're positive. So which means this 117 kids being tested positive every day probably is just a, uh, a small tip of the iceberg. In terms of at the front line and physicians in the ED, in the emergency department, what would you like to see happen? Do you think there should be more routine testing for opioid abuse? Excellent point. I think, you know, the first and foremost thing is to get a good history from any patient who, who comes into the ED, because this is all-cause visitation. Because you know, if, if the kid already tells you that, hey, yeah, I do take opioids, then the question is to ask them, like, okay, why do you take the opioids? For how long have you been taking? Are there, you know, issues associated with that? Then the next question is, you know, if the patient is having some symptoms associated with um, the opioid abuse, then you say that, you know, you're going to test it. And once you're positive, then, you know, you have a diagnosis there. Unfortunately, you know, what's happening is, you know, this opioid abuse is being relegated to the adults, thinking that, you know, this is an adult problem. And some of the signs and symptoms are, like, very vague that, you know, unless you specifically think about it, you're not going to ask. And if you're not going to ask, it's very unlikely that the kid is going to tell you. So I think what my study highlights is, like, you know, we have a problem, so which means whenever you see any kid in the ED, please ask the right questions and uh, do a a thorough history, and if need be, do the test to either confirm or or to refute uh, if the kid has got an opioid abuse problem. That was Dr. Virajalanda Alareddy from the Stead Family Children's Hospital, University of Iowa. That's it for this month. Join us again for another episode of Pediapod next month. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Marsh.